In this week's episode, we're going to be listening to the album Full Moon Fever, the first solo record from Tom Petty. This album follows a decade of worldwide success while serving as a frontman for his band, The Heartbreakers. Born in 1950, Petty grew up in the small university town of Gainesville, Florida, and turned his attention to music after meeting Elvis Presley on the set of his film, Follow That Dream. 16 studio albums later, Petty is considered as one of the greatest figures in rock and roll, and was recognised as such until his passing in 2017. This album frames a very happy time period in my life, and is really fall off the bone kind of stuff. I look forward to exploring it with the guys, and as always, thank you for supporting the show. This is Full Moon Fever by Tom Petty. You're listening to Between the Tracks, a book club but for music. Join the conversation at tracks.show. Hard to get up there, actually. I tried that with non-head voice as well. You've got some explaining to do, Charlie. Um, for anyone who witnessed that lovely intro, my brother just came up with a new saying, and I just thought I'd try and um, jam it in there somewhere. What saying is that, Charlie? Oh, it's really fall off the bone kind of stuff. Oh. Let us know what you think, everyone. See so if you can put that one into your daily routine. Let, let, us ha- let us know how you get on with it. It should give you a bit more context, you know, if, if something's pretty great. And you just refer to it as fall off the bone kind of stuff. Mm. Let's get that going. Uh, top hashtag in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Between the Tracks. This Hello. is episode nine. Bloody hell. Bloody Close. hell. Nine Close. episodes. Nine whole episodes. We Jeez. are a book club for music, as we always say. Uh, we bring in one album per week, break it down track by track, do some deep diving and share whatever research, thoughts and feelings we might have had. My name is Carl Lewis. With me is Charlie Fowler. Hello, Carl. And Chris Bunt. Hi, you, mate. The lads. All right. The boys. How's your week been, boys? Um, I smell of car, so... Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, you've had a bad car week, haven't you? Yeah, I've had one of those car weeks where, you know, you're just cruising by day by day and then your car goes wrong and all of life turns to absolute misery. It's the year for it, man. Yep. German cars, that's what it is. Those good old reliable, brakey... We've had nothing but whips. trouble with German cars this your year. Your car went bad, didn't it, Chef? Mine's still, it's still bad in bits. I bought one of those machines that you can plug into to, diagnose all the problems with it <laughs> so i plugged it in and obviously it lit up like a fucking christmas tree and then gave me a load of errors of which none of them make any sense so i just unplugged it threw it away and got put really it, scared. It in the glove box and it's carry so on funny. driving like carl's car broke down the other day and me and carl went up there to go and talk to the the guy that was fixing it and you just feel so manly around those those chaps around mechanics yeah. yeah but like i would have done this exactly the same thing gone ah it looks all right bought, bought a machine gone i can fix this <laughs> first warning message came up i'd be like yep yep no idea what that means cool. let's crack on red means good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as you uh, head to the top this week we're talking about charlie's choice which is tom petty's first solo album full moon fever released april 24th 1989 correct on mca records which eventually became universal and there's a lot to go into with that born in gainesville florida I, Southern yeah. boy moved up to LA. That's correct. It's pronounced La, darling. Oh, La, of course, La La Land. And um, lived the dream chasing record labels and, and got a load of offers, apparently. I yeah. Think, from what I, I can mean, tell. can you yeah. imagine having the audacity? That is the dream, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Just be like, you know what, man, we're not really getting it done down here with just us and Leonard Skinner. Let's get to LA and find a deal. But if, if your first band is called Mud Crutch, then yeah. Mud Crutch, you're yeah. going to get signed. You know, you are actually because yeah. again that takes pluck, doesn't it? They're like you it must, does. you must be great because you're called Mud Crutch. Yeah, so. there's no overcompensating being done there, is there? <laughs> no, definitely not. Filth. How did you get on with it? I really enjoyed this. I knew I would. I'd, I'd heard it before, but um, 
to actually deep dive, it was interesting. I knew it was going to be full of stories and twists and turns along mm. the way. So yeah. How about you boys? I will say that I had no idea that it had quite the story that it did and the personnel involved that we'll obviously get to as well. It's been the same throughout the podcast really. I've, when we open up certain albums, it's so surprising how many albums have a story yeah. that is more than just a bunch of people going into a studio and mm -hmm. making an album. There's so many things. And for, for someone like Tom Petty, it's, there's a history to unpick. There's like, what, going on 50 years of career to try and dissect and try and bring in. So this was probably, for me, the best album you could have chose, really, for Tom Petty. I feel like it's a really good introduction at a real crucial point in his career. Yeah, I feel like it's opened up my understanding of who Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers are and who Tom Petty as the artist is, whereas I might not have necessarily got that if we'd just gone in with a Heartbreakers album, perhaps. Awesome. Really interesting one to get stuck in with. And just some amazing songs in there, like yeah. huge songs. I don't know if, if you guys felt this, but listening to this, I feel like Tom Petty, his identity is, is so rooted in him being an American person. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like sometimes maybe in this country, even though he was embraced really warmly when he did get here, sometimes I think um, it's harder to connect with somebody who's that deeply ingrained into American culture. Yeah, you know? no, it's true. Like he is extremely American in everything he does. We'll call it up, up front that this album was pretty much entirely co-written with Jeff Lynne from the Electric Light Orchestra. Mm -hmm. And he did talk about that when he was doing an interview about Tom and was just like, he's just so American and he'd never really, as an Englishman, Jeff had never really been around someone like that who was so to the core, or worked with someone like that who was so to the core American. Yeah. And yeah, and he's just so cool, man. He's just the coolest motherfucker in the world, yeah. isn't he? There's a couple of a couple of moments where you can hear him talking on the album. I'm like, God, if I had a voice like that, he's like counting off tracks. Like, okay, here we go. One. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. he's a cool guy, man. He yeah. really is. Seems it. Yeah. I so, made um, my voice sound weedy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are a big boy. You are a big boy, Charlie. So should we get stuck in with it? Let's do it. This is episode nine of Between the Tracks. We're looking at Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever. And this is track one, Free Falling. I'm a bad boy for breaking her heart. Track one, Free Falling. Arguably his biggest song ever, I think. Never heard it. Arguably <laughs> a total classic in the world. Honestly, right. How many times do you, do you think you've heard that song in your life? A lot, man. I, I love going back to that and, and hearing really new things in there. That yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You get to a point where you hear these songs over and over and you're like, well, yeah, I know that song inside out. And then you sit down with it and you, you're blown away by some of the things that happen. You know, I, I love going back to it. Yeah. It's, Equally. But, going back to it and realizing the, the, how minimalistic it is in its production. Man, there's not a lot going on really in there, but subtly very clever. Mm. It showed you how you can do a lot with not a lot. too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with not too much. Uh, I thought it was a really good exercise in production, especially with the way that the, the song itself uh, grows towards the end, because it's basically a very, very gradual build. Sometimes something will just duck out. The, the chords never change, do they? The chord no, structure no. never changes. They just work with a few key ingredients, I think. He talks about some of his songs having certain durability, mm -hmm. as in they've played them and over and over for so long and he still enjoys playing it. And this is one of those songs, like, yeah. hasn't really worn off for him. I have a little memory about this song from when I was a kid. Oh, go on, Chef. So I remember this time, Ryan. So when we were younger, we, um, 
lived in in Liverpool. And my dad would do whatever to kind of make ends meet. He would just go and do random jobs. Like he, one day he was a removal guy, the next day he was a taxi driver or something. He came home one day, he'd been doing a removal and they were going to throw out this like hi-fi system. Like, you know, those stacks where it'd have like 10 different segments and oh, it'd yeah. be like a vinyl player Those are mental. He brought one of those home for me and just turned up in the door like a trail of cables behind him. I was just like, there you go, son. I was like, oh, nice. So I set it up in the, in the bedroom and he had the tape from the car and the song he put on was Free Falling. And... Both of us, because we'd never had anything like this in the house. This was the, the coolest thing we'd had. Mm. So we'd never heard music like this before, as in through a speakers of, of any quality. And I remember my dad being like, look, son, I've got goosebumps. Like, oh, no way. like literally oh, just awesome. like, play, like, man, it was so, so not, And that song stuck in my head forever because I remember feeling really cool that I liked that song because my dad liked that song. Right. And that made me feel really cool because like, I don't like kids music anymore. I like this song. I didn't know that it was Tom Petty or anything. But yeah, he would bring all kinds of shit home. And he brought a typewriter home once. And that was one of the best, most amazing things I've ever read as well. And he used to write me nan letters on it. But she lived like Stop. three, she lived three streets down from us. So I'd write her a letter and she would write them back, but just three streets. It was probably a shocking abuse of the postal system. Considering oh. oh, you and you posted them. Yeah, as well. we posted them to each other. Yeah, I'll get fucking stoked when I come over from school and there'd be a letter from me, Nan. And I'd see her about two hours later, but we'd never mention the letters as well. It was like having a conversation with a different person because we'd never talk about our letters. That might be the sweetest thing that we've ever talked about it, on this podcast. Definitely, <laughs> it definitely is. So this song has a really good childhood connection for me. And, I, and listening to this song again now woke that memory up a lot. What a lovely memory though, brother. Glad it still feels that way though when you go back to it. Definitely, yeah, it was nice. Yeah. It's such a portrait of an area and a feeling, I think, mm -hmm, this song. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you get all the references that he talks about. You've got your Mulholland Drive and you've got Reseda and um, Ventura, Boulevard. Ventura Boulevard and stuff. And it maps out uh, this area in California and i had a little look on there earlier just to sort of almost visualize it i just put each of the destinations in on on google map and it's just great being able to imagine that because for the entirety of this album i think that it has this identity um that this same identity of again american it feels west coast it doesn't have a florida it definitely feels west coast yeah mm -hmm. yeah and there is so much travel in it as well it's, yeah it's, it's yeah, that yeah. old american dream of uh, having a um, a Chevy or something and, and driving down a big highway, isn't it? It is. Tom Petty does say that to him, American music was all about listening to it in the car. Oh, really? Is that yeah, what he said? that's that's a quote from him. So right. that definitely ties in with that. Where it's it is music for the road. This isn't it? You know, driving M music. Most most definitely. There's a great documentary on Tom Petty and his entire career until before he died. Cause it was made before he died, I think. Called Running Down Dream. Yeah, uh, it's like four hours long. I did mention that I was going to watch it last week, and I did watch it. Let's talk about how the song was written. Did you read into that? Uh, a little, if you want to kick yeah, well, off and we'll see if we can get some crossover. Yeah, man. So like we said at the top, he wrote most of this album was co-written with him and Jeff Lynne from ELO, amongst other people that we will bring up. And I grabbed a little quote about how this song came about because it's quite interesting. He says, um, Jeff Lynne and I were sitting around with the idea of writing a song and I was playing the keyboard and just happened to hit on that main riff, the intro of the song. And I think Jeff said something like, that's a really good riff, but there's like one chord too many. So he cut a chord out just to amuse Jeff, really. And then he sang the first verse. And Jeff started laughing and he thought that this was just a joke between like him and Jeff, like they were just riffing off something. And Jeff leaned over and whispered the word free falling to him. And he was like, okay, well, I'll just sing that. So he sung it and then he was like, no, no, take your voice up an octave and see how that feels. So he took it up all the way up and then couldn't get the whole word free falling in. So he was like, okay, well, what if I do like free, free falling? Did that and he said, I think we've actually got something. Oh, that's how wow. that was him. I don't right. know. That's how the, that 
juxtaposition of those two phrases came about with free and free falling. Yeah, the, yeah. I'm, I'm free and and then immediately turn upside down on its head and be I'm well I'm free free falling. Yeah, yeah, it was all. Um, I didn't realize it came from that. But it's really cool that like he was just there playing piano and Jeff just yeah. leaned over and was like free falling. It's like awesome. yeah, free falling. I know that he was Instead talking. Brofest. I know that he was talking about it being quite sort of spur of the moment and just just singing words that came into her. You know, it, there's a bit where he's just singing it like he's singing it to an audience really casually. He's going, I just saying. Uh, Good girl, loves her mama. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, just hearing him say it, everyone's laughing while he's telling it. It's so, it's so funny. It sounds like he just smashed this out in about a day. You know, well, it sounds like he smashed a lot of this album out, mm. like in the same way. This, album, this song was written in thirty minutes. There you go. Amazing start to to a great album. It blew my mind how fresh it still sounded, despite probably having heard that a thousand times. Yeah, it's one of those songs, isn't it? You've just heard over and over and over, and it gets like we talked about with Tame Impala and Elephant. Songs seem to sometimes get that overexposure yeah. thing where once you've had it so many times, it just becomes not interesting anymore. But this one doesn't. This mm. still manages to hold on to something. I don't know what. It's got a brightness to it, hasn't it? It does, yeah. Some brightness and some uh, some wonderlust as you've transported. That, you know what? That is a word that you could pair to this. It does mm. really feel like that, actually, yeah. What wine would you pair with this? Oh, it'd be a nice little sparkling rose, wouldn't it? Oh. It'd have to be pink, wouldn't it? Yeah, too right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. This is track two, I Won't Back Down. That was track two, I Won't Back Down. First single from the album. Ah. That was officially the first single as a solo artist as well. Yeah, man. And the lead single from this album reached number 12 in the US. He says this song was really naked for him, really vulnerable. Still says it makes him feel a bit uncomfortable listening back to this even now or yeah, even I, before he died. I had him saying it, it frightened him when he yeah. wrote it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it seems like it's a song that's definitely resonated, again, with the, uh, the American public. Usually. Most, mostly, you know. A lot of people attached to this song. Yeah. We get George Harrison for the first time on this song. Yep. You want to just very quickly mention that he appears here, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. So that was my first surprise of, the, of this, listening to this and reading into it. Yeah. I was like, fucking hell, what's the old boy doing on this? Now, you know when where you hear that people are in a super group mm -hmm. uh, and it's like, oh, it's this person from that band, but I don't really know who that person yeah. is. I know who the lead singer is, yeah. but, I don't really, but this is like, it's mental. It's a joke. Some of all, it's a joke. All of the, all of the um, personal here that will trickle out over the course of it. So we're trying to not talk about too much stuff too early basically yeah can i just say he was in the video though for this song mm -hmm. so in the music video for this song you've got ringo Starr, george harrison jeff lynn and mike campbell mad nice. even though ringo didn't play drums on the song that was phil jones wasn't yeah. It? yeah that's yeah, right but um but they just pulled ringo in for the video they're like that's gonna have way more pull. they they pulled him in for the acting i think is yeah. what it is. <laughs> if, you have, if you've seen that video he is uh <laughs> he's a real treat to watch is ringo but, but imagine doing this song and being like right with george harrison from the beatles on this and then Mate, you do the video for the fucking Beatles. And then the you do video. the video and you got Ringo. It's like, hold on, that's 50% of the fucking Beatles. Yeah. And one of them's dead, so you couldn't get in. <laughs> so it's just like, technically, at that point in time, it's two thirds of the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Ma absolute madness. madness. Crazy, man. Did you hear about the lawsuit on this song? Uh, I've read bits and bobs, but yeah. I'm not quite clear on what exactly happened. There's an interesting one. So back in 2015, it came out that Tom Petty's publishing company had sued Sam Smith. Do you remember that song by Sam Smith, Stay With Me? Mm. And it's, won't you stay oh, with cool. me? Because oh, you're all I need. Like those little kind of climb downs. Sam Smith claimed that he'd never heard the song in his life. I won't back down. 
But anyway, eventually they ended up coming to an agreement and a nice amicable one. It wasn't a tough fight. It was like, no, they got 12.5% of the royalties for this song uh, for Stay With Me. That song went on to win two Grammys and they got a certificate of honor from the Grammys on behalf of that song for their contribution to the work, wow. which is mad. I see. There is a quote from Tom about that. He says, uh, all my years of songwriting have shown me that these things can happen. Most times you catch it before it gets out the studio door, but in this case it got by them. Sam's people were very understanding of our predicament and we easily came to an agreement. You know, I respect that a lot in him. I, just this morning when I was reading about American Girl, just for kicks really, uh, even then it was mentioned that, you know, last night by the stroke, mm -hmm. they came around and said, well, most of that is inspired by American Girl. And when you go back, you're like, oh shit. And then and Tom Petty was like, well, you know, fair play. He said, when I heard them say it, I started laughing. It's great that they acknowledged it. Yeah, well, you got to, man, you know? Inspiration mm. is inspiration. Plagiarism is plagiarism. And there's a fine line between the two. Yeah. And if you're respectful enough with it, you know, got to be, man. There's it, only so many notes. There's only so many combinations. Seven in concession, seven consecutive notes. Is a, is a, is a, a viable lawsuit. Yeah. Viable lawsuit. Is that yeah. where it sits, is it? Apparently, yeah. I mean... When I say seven consecutive notes, what I mean is seven consecutive notes of the same in the same order that make up the same melody essentially right. i mean yeah. music law in that respect yeah. in terms of who can sue who for what it's complicated man it's case by case well we've got you covered so dial in next week and we'll discuss <laughs> better call chris not me no i know the least okay oh, yeah, better, better call what, what do you think you've got a bloody leg to style on here from all <laughs> so in terms of how this song was written tom and jeff lynn were in the studio mixing free falling so that was happening and the engineers were working away and they'd asked for some changes. And that was going to take an hour or two because obviously back then with tape and stuff like that, it was more of a process than just editing around. So they went into a little room with their two guitars and we literally just sat there playing around. And that song came out in literally a couple of minutes. They were just both sat there playing away and this song fell out and they literally walked back into the studio room and was like, listen, I think we've got another one. That day, went back to the studio and within two days, this song was written and recorded. The way the whole album was recorded, you can hear those two sat down with their guitars like the, even the way they pan the guitars almost in your left and right and it i get that image of them sat around a microphone it's a Both, real collaboration isn't yeah it? it's a real collaboration it no it really is and the speed of that collaboration like you said has been mad but i've got this great thing that he said about all of this the songwriting techniques that he uses and he said um i don't really understand it but i do know that it seems like the best ones often just appear talking about songs like you're sitting there with your guitar or the piano and bang, there it is. It just falls out the sky. I hesitate to even try to understand it for fear that it might make it go away. It's a spiritual thing. So he's like, he's that musician who you hear about who, cha who are channeling a thing. And it yeah, just yeah, yeah. Just comes out their hands or, or their voice. or um, it's, it's really interesting to hear someone say it. One more note on George Harrison, actually, which is quite funny. There's a quote from Tommy. He says, at the session, George Harrison sang and played the guitar. I had a terrible cold that day and George went to the shop and bought some ginger root, boiled it and made me stick my head in a pot to get the ginger steam up into his sinuses and then it ran in and did the take. Can you imagine being in LA in the studio <laughs> and George Harrison's like, don't you worry, man, I'm just going to go grab you some ginger from the shop. Imagine being in a shop that sells ginger and George Harrison comes in with the Beatles. <laughs> and there's like two sticks of root, please, mate. Fucking two Tom, sticks of root. Tom Petty's got a snotty nose. <laughs> oh. Yeah. But yeah, like, like we said a bit earlier, this song was massive for the American people. And it was used a lot in politics in a couple of interesting ways. So it's probably safe to assume that Tom Petty was Democrat leaning because George Bush used it. George W. Bush, who was a Republican, used it in his campaign trial. And he was sent a cease and desist letter by Tom Petty's publisher saying, 
absolutely stop doing that. You can't use that. He was campaigning against a guy called Al Gore. He was a, um, a Democrat as well. And um, when George Bush defeated Al Gore in the election, Tom Petty went to Al Gore's house and played I Won't Back Down in his living room on acoustic guitar. No there way. Go. There you go. Um, Trump tried to use it as well. Donald Trump tried to use it and he was sent to cease and desist really? by the Tom Petty estate. And Tom Petty's family come out and said, Trump was in no way authorized to use this song to further a campaign that leaves too many Americans and common sense behind. Both the late Tom Petty and his family firmly stand against racism and discrimination of any kind. Tom Petty would never want a song of his used for a campaign of hate. He'd like to bring people together. Fucking cool. And then uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris used it on their victory speech. So it's been everywhere through politics, but only the Democrats seem to have been able to use it. Well, there because, you go then. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, before we get too political, let's move on to track three, which is a song called Love is a Long Road. Track three, love is a long road. The one key keyboard. That's a, that's a gig, isn't it? Imagine being the key player on that one live, though. Mm. You could be having a, like, a little drink or a little smoke or something. You ever seen that video of Mr. Bean at the Olympics? <laughs> what? Exactly. What? So there's like a whole orchestra playing. But oh, what that are, one. But the song's yeah. literally just got a pedal note like that, and he's just there like... Getting really, <laughs> yeah. getting really jealous of everyone else who's got big bits to play. He's like, <laughs> like looking at us watching stuff and like answering the phone. It's great. Anyway. I, I thought you were talking about the invisible drum sketch. Is what I you were oh, that's amazing though. Genius. Yeah. Genius. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. This has no bearing on, uh, on that at all. So. It doesn't. Uh, Mr. Bean did not write this song. However, mm -hmm. Mike Campbell did co-write this one with Tom Petty. Uh, Mike Campbell being the guitarist from the Heartbreakers. Yeah. So he's the mainstay from the, he's like the, the layover from the Heartbreakers in this. Yeah. Uh, he's in this. Disney. He's in this a lot. It yeah. sounds like he was in the area and tom was writing and things were just happening and, and what, was this not a lot of it not recorded at his house it was yeah it was recorded at mike campbell's house yeah. the vast majority of it because right. he was the only place they knew they could get studio time but it was in his spare room in his house well yeah i think they were gonna their name of the album was gonna be called songs from the garage really or garage didn't know that oh. or car hole whatever you know. car <laughs> yeah it's another niche simpsons reference don't worry some people out there are getting it lardy down mr frenchman boring <laughs> On the subject of Mike Campbell, I read that this song was inspired by a motorcycle that Mike owned. That is yep. also true, I believe. He said the song reminded him of the motorbike, like shifting gears as it moves mm. up. So, Well, as our resident motorcyclist, Charlie Fowler, what are you saying? Feeling some... I'm, you I'm cool, feeling you cool with this? Or? I'm cool with this. I can feel it shifting through the gears. I can feel myself, my hair whipping through the wind. Yeah. Pulling a sweet wheelie. You're wearing a helmet, I hope, young man. Of course. Good. But I've got really long hair, so it comes out the bottom. Oh, it okay. looks really weird. Cool. Yeah. What sort of uh, motorcycle are we, we rocking on here? On this one, I'd be rocking um, probably a classic old, um, I'm literally trying to think of a Harley, but like, <laughs> yeah. of, of actually like Just a say Harley. Just say Harley. Harley. Vespa. <laughs> Harley Vespa. You know one of the crossovers? That oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A collab. Collab. Like it. Sounds quite dated, this song to me, though. Yeah. It encompasses a time and a sound, doesn't it? The things that I wrote down here as a reference are like ZZ Top. Definitely. Like Give Me All Your Love. And there's even a bit in Give Me All Your Love, which is like... Da, 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 it's very da, much da, like that. Or a lot of these songs, I think, sound like ACDC, but not quite heavy enough, almost. Yeah, I can see old Malcolm Young flitting about on the stage there. Giving it big ones to that. Um, yeah. 
I found a little funny thing actually when I was trying to research this. Uh, it's not funny at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the joke. There. That's the joke. Yeah, yeah. Boring. Boring. Uh, <laughs> they um, there was an auction and they found basically a, a piece of paper with the handwritten lyrics for this song on from Tom Petty. And I found the auction website for it. it went for eleven and a half thousand dollars. Wow. For a single sheet wow. of yellow paper. What a waste. He could have had that done up on Word and sold it as an NFT now, you know? Oh, he could have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Chris has come around to it. Yeah, I, I haven't yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. So alongside having Mike Campbell as the crossover from the Heartbreakers, we also do get Jim Keltner uh, on drums on this one. And Jim Keltner, for those that don't know, is, um, well, actually, maybe Bob Dylan says it best. Uh, he says that he's the leading session drummer in America. So says Bobby D. Wow. Which is some endorsement. But I guess what this song really does is ties us back to the traveling wilburys um because jim keltner also played in the wilburys he wasn't made an honorary wilbury he was offered it um he said that he wanted to be a sidebury um, <laughs> that's what he said yeah um sidebury or not sidebury if you're in that band you're still doing something right because the lineup is mental incredible man we've got jim keltner obviously we've got jeff lynn as well who's on bass on this track incidentally uh we got roy orbison we get Bob Dylan and we get George Harrison. And it's... <laughs> That's a super band of all super bands. That really is a super band. It's all of them together. It's, and Tom Petty, of course. Yeah, and Tom Petty. Again, it's a great tick on your CV, isn't it? it if you're in that position... Fucking right it is. Tick on your CV, it's the state say, of that. What I'm saying is, when you do step away from it and you go, what was I doing last week? Oh, yeah. I was like working with some of the biggest musicians that have ever lived. Yeah. I must be pretty good. I must be doing do. all right. Yeah. Well, even before that, leading up into this, the Heartbreakers became Bob Dylan's touring band. Didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. They went out on tour. Tom Petty became second guitar to Bob oh, Dylan. Oh, so when they're playing together, was that the Heartbreakers behind them as yeah. well? Was it? Oh, so they went on tour. And what was the tour? Was it a Bob Dylan tour? It was or a was Bob it? Dylan tour, Heartbreakers opening. And then Heartbreakers, Heartbreakers playing stay on. And That's Tom would. Incredible. Tom would be second. Fiddle, as Imagine hanging out it, like on that tour, man. Just, it's, what a night. You watch it in that documentary as well. And they say about how difficult some of the nights are because Bob wants to sometimes do really different versions of the songs. He'll pull a time signature out of his ass or he'll go, right, this one's in uh, C sharp, lads, tonight. And there's a bit there where they're playing and they're all like leading in. Uh, Bob's going, going at it with his harmonica. <laughs> And uh, they, they're going, they're sort of like building up, building up. And you see um, Bob Dylan's hand come out and he commands them to go back down again. And they all sort of like step back, <laughs> back away. Because you can't argue with Bob Dylan, no, can you? Absolutely, absolutely not. No, it's like James Brown. It's like you can't argue with him either. Yeah. Right, tonight, boys, we're doing blowing, the, blowing in the wind backwards. Cool. <laughs> Just give us a minute. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's move on. This is track four, Facing the Crowd. Into my heart. To my life, and you were just a face in the crowd. You were just a face in the crowd. Out in the street, track four A Face in the Crowd. Fourth single from the album, released January 1990, peaked at number 46. Nice, Carl. Good real, facts. Real change up, though. For it the, is. You know, for the, for the track listing there, I think. For sure. Th this one, for me, 
does frame Tom as a solo artist. This for me feels more like a solo artist song. Oh, I get that. Yeah. I like that. As if he's the sole person pulling everything yes. together. Yes. I mean, okay. That's probably fair. And yeah. you know, I, I feel like it presents a departure from the heartbreakers. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think what this song does demonstrate really well, and you'd probably overlook it, or at least I did first few times I listened to it, is actually how much of Jeff Lynne's production goes into some of these songs. Mm. You listen to it and it almost is this wall of sound thing, like proper, proper dense, luscious synth beds and um, building like feelings through that. I didn't realize it was there. Like if you, if I think back to that song when I'm not listening to it, it might as well be just a guitar. Yeah. I mean, I think that too. Yeah. But it, but it doesn't exist like that. And lots of these songs do that same thing where it almost catches you off guard. It's, it's actually quite a feat. And when you listen to some of the other things that Jeff Lynne has been doing aside, you know, as well as ELO, mm-hmm. you know, if you go back and listen to that George Harrison album that, that came before this. Yeah. Cloud, Cloud Nine. Cloud Nine. Yeah which was almost the catalyst for this anyway. There's just lots and lots of heavy production, but disguised and masked in actually quite delicate ways. And I can't imagine it'd be easy to do that at all. Well, he he occupies the entire space, Mm -hmm. but there's always something that's right in the front. Yeah. Normally the guitar and normally the vocals and normally like the lead guitars, all the things that are focal points like that are really clean Mm -hmm. and everything else sat behind the drums are really spacey, big room drums. So I think he... Like you say, when you remember the song or play the song to yourself in your head, you get the focal points always. So the guitar is what I hear like that. It just yeah. feels like an acoustic I, I, song. I think you're, that's so spot on. Well, that's what, that's what you were saying before anyway, wasn't it really? That... So, uh, yeah, I was so spot on. <laughs> you were so spot on. <laughs> Did you see um, Josh Klinghoffer's cover of this? It was like a tribute, I guess. It was at Austin City Limits in 2017, so shortly after Tom had passed away. And um, he just does it solo, just like Frashante used to, just the band go off stage it was during the encore and just plays a cover of this. It's so beautiful, man. It's really, really good. Solid cover. He just plays on his own. Plays on his own with a guitar and it's beautiful, like really emotional, you know? Well, these songs do hold up in that sense, don't they? Yeah. That's, that's the point. Some beautiful sounding things in here as well, though. You know, we were waiting for that slide to... Oh, yeah, the little slide. Yeah, yeah. On, on a, I guess it, on an acoustic guitar or on, a, or on a dobro or something. And that's really quite um haunting and 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 pretty and, and beautiful and but a really it, good example of not overcooking yeah it. yeah there's a lot of that on this whole album as well there's there's no one really steps out of no it's tasteful mind. tasteful yeah. Yeah. yeah and you get more of that sort of uh jangly sound that comes up earlier in the album that rickenbacker yeah. sound as I well i think that's a yeah uh, that's definitely a jefflin influence yeah yeah most definitely the reverb at the top of the song is very timeless to me if you if you go back and listen to the very first reverb mm-hmm. note at the top that could be from present day. Right. Mm. The way it sounds. I was like, whoa. Yeah. He had some interesting techniques because at this point, ELO had disbanded, which is why he was producing so many different records. Is he was just out on a, on a Lynn. Oh, jeepers, creepers. Sorry. Um, Not having that. <laughs> but yeah, so he was producing a bunch of different things and bringing all of the stuff he'd learned from Electric Light Orchestra and all that different stuff and working with George Harrison, producing records for all different people. I think he's got the the special source that brings yeah. these albums from demos to life. Yeah, most nice. I mean, it won't come as a surprise for either of you now, but again, this one was written, obviously with Jeff, with the, the two of them just strumming guitars. Jeff had an, an idea first, a musical idea, and then Tom started writing the lyrics, and he goes on to say that it's very hard for him to sing other people's lyrics. Mm-hmm. So all of the lyrics in the album are written by Tom. Mm-hmm. And, and Jeff's influences come in, in a more musical form. Yeah. 
Definitely. I think his musical influence on this has definitely contributed to the success of it. And I, I witness it now as a collaborative product where it's two songwriters and two amazing performers. Most definitely. Anyway, let's move on to track five, which is called Running Down a Dream. The rain was unstoppable. It was always cold. No sunshine. Track five, Running Down a Dream, second single from the album, released July 29th, 1989, number 23 on the Billboard charts. Welcome to one of my top five songs of all time. Really? Is it that high? Wow. I just, for me, it does everything in terms of mood. It puts me in a very particular place. That's the open top car cruising down. Every time I hear that song, it puts me in such a good mood. It is definitely one of those. Nice. Isn't it? And it yeah. just, everything feels so positive about it and the descriptiveness about it. It just feels so, it just really gets me every time. Every it is time very it descriptive. Me. It's got a visual, hasn't it, in your mind when you listen to it? It's got such it. a visual. Oh. I first heard this when I was probably about 14 and I was watching a skateboarding video called Junkyard Dogs. Mm-hmm. And this song came on and I was just so in awe of it. It's funny how, uh, moment or something you see and something you you're inspired by and when it's paired with a song like this that song immediately uh, just will forever sit there in oh, that position absolutely it, and it really does and i remember first watching that and it was when i was so into skateboarding and there was a section where this guy did this like sick ollie over this jump <laughs> sweet jump <laughs> take it off some sweet jumps I remember over. he said man i was like skating on a pillow dude it's so <laughs> sick man anyway Fast forward like 20 years and me and my wife are driving from LA to San Francisco to meet Carl and the artist we work with for a gig. But we were cruising up, literally cruising up. Top down. PCH? Is it PCH? Uh, the road? Yeah. I think so. Uh, what, someone let me know. If it's it's one big road. Pacific then. Coast Highway. Mm-hmm. There we go. Just driving up that road and I put this on. Nice. And I just remember going, I just, we couldn't stop smiling. I think I cried. That's, that's the... <laughs> I'm pretty sure I cried. Oh, and I, I pretty, I'm pretty sure I remember being looking at her and going, "How fucking cool is this?" This is it. Yeah, yeah. We, we were in a we were in a Mustang convertible Mustang, obviously. That's the road to do it on, man. We're gonna do it. We've Drive made it. It's your yeah. I've made it moment. Yeah. That was 100 percent my I've made it moment. Nice. Do you want to know the first time I heard this song? Yes, please. GTA San Andreas. I was gonna say it's in yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's where I am. So it must have been exposure because when I... Were you driving um, a girl and a guy up the coast? Up the coast, up the Pacific (laughs) Coastal Highway. Yeah. Well, and he was crying as well. (laughs) (laughs) You're crying while playing it. Why why did I get to do this? (laughs) So um, let's pull up the the Del Shannon thing. Yeah, Yeah. sure. Talk about about Del if you want. Oh, Del boy. So in verse one, you've got uh, Trees Went By, Me and Del Were Singing, Little Runaway, I Was Flying. And that references a 1961 song by a guy called Del Shannon. The song was called uh, Runaway. In the later years of Del's life, him and Tom were friends. And there's a nice little quote, actually, from Tom talking about that because he put that line in. He says, at the time, me and Del were hanging around a little bit. He was with us as we were running around. And he says, that's why I threw that line in. He said, I put that on just for him. And he was very pleased. He said, I got a big smile from him with that one. That's good. So that's nice, isn't it? You, you know that song. You know Runaway. It's the one with a mad... Um, I will that, run away. Yeah. It's got the, like, I will run away with you. That sounded like the same song because it, it goes, 
My little runaway. Which oh, is I know. Run, 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 yeah, run, it's got run, run away. Like, da, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Da, da, da. Oh, yeah, I didn't know it's, that one. It's, you know, there's those songs that exist that no other song sounds like it. Mm -hmm. That's one of those. There was a lot more of that back then. Yeah, yeah. But that little, just so that you know, because I looked it up, that little instrument is called a musitron. Invented a by musitron? The, invented by the person that played it, Max Crook. Wow. Uh, there you go. There you go. Unfortunately, Just, um, in February 1990, shortly after this album was released, Del Shannon did take his own life. Yeah, yeah. Real which sad. is really sad. He'd been suffering from depression. And that was, um, that was really sad because they were all so close at that point in time and he was hanging out with them. Jeff Lynne went on to produce Del's posthumous album, which came out after he died, obviously, which was called Rock On, which came out in the year 91. So that was nice of Jeff oh. to kind of take that and make sure it was done yeah. in, in how he'd have wanted it, I guess. Yeah, there's some more, like, again, it's, it just shows the crossover of all of these groups and stuff and how together they were. The Traveling Wilburys as well did a cover of Runaway as a tribute to oh. them as well, a bit later down the line. I didn't know that. Which is nice, a kind of nice, tightly knitted group. They all seem like such nice people, man. When you like, they do, yeah. The idea of the, all these superstars just hanging out, mm. but just being normal people about it, like looking well, after each other. They're and just like us, the you know, these They're just, just like, like us. us. <laughs> they buy ginger root from the shops, just like us. <laughs> also, here's one for you. This was one of the four songs played at the Super Bowl halftime show in 2008 when Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers performed. Really? So it was um, Free Fall In, I Went Back Down, American Girl, and Running Down a Dream. Three from this album? Yeah. There you go. Yes, three from this album. And oh. also, they did quite a different performance because they played the songs in their entirety. Because obviously a lot of artists will do like mashups, right? And mm -hmm. kind of different versions of their songs. They just played four songs back to back. So but what you're saying is they didn't... Back down. That's it. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. <sighs> Let's get back to the song, though, about its feeling and its sounds and stuff, because there are a few key things in here. The solo is one of them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Solo is... Solo is amazing. Solo is, is mad. When Tom's talking about it, he, he says that when he heard it, he was, like, jumping around the studio, and it does feel like that. Yeah. It is a Mike Campbell solo, and he's just absolutely shredding it, really. It is a great solo. It's a great performance. Yeah. It's one of those classic solos, and he played it all in one take. First take. No. Bang. Shit. Yeah, there's a quote from Tom about that. He says, he says, Mike was just sitting there with his head down and that part came up and he started to play and he played that solo, but he looked like a stone statue. He didn't blink or move. I remember Jeff Lynn looking around his shoulder and looking at me and making this face like, is he really doing this? It was one take, one take. That's says. phenomenal. Yeah, a phenomenal sound all round on this song. Did you see the video for this one? No. I didn't watch the video. I've never watched that. That's mental. It's, there's a really interesting animated video. It's nuts. It's mad. There's a lot of like Alice in Wonderland-y sort of stuff with, with Tom Petty mm -hmm. in his videos and stuff. But this one is actually based upon a comic book called Little Nemo in Slumberland, written by someone called Winsor McKay, published between 1905 to 1927. Right. Really trippy sort of video, all in black and white though. But the reason I mention it, apart from it being a really interesting watch, is it's a tenuous link we have for one more of our other episodes go on and they were trying to find it the artwork within that comic book is styled on two or three different things one of the things that inspiration has been taken from is luxembourg palace in paris paris which is situated in the luxembourg gardens, Jardin 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 luxembourg, on the front cover of the tatum and album that we reviewed there you go there's that's that's wow. as close as we're gonna get i i actually might have another link all right all T right tom petty Died of a fentanyl overdose. Oh god! Oh, just no, like Prince three now, isn't and it? just like uh, what was his name, Jay Bennett from oh. Wilco. Wow. That's three. Damn you, fentanyl! Do you know what, man? Stop fucking prescribing it. Like, what are they doing? Oh, it's all, it's all fucked. It's all yeah, fucked. madness, man. All these people were losing. Um, 
Before we round this one off, just whilst we're on the subject of Del Shannon, there's an interesting hidden song in the CD version of this album, which is at the end of this song when you play it through. And it's a part where Tom Petty directly addresses you and it's like, hello, CD listeners. And it's, it's basically joking about the fact, because he's a vinyl guy, he's an albums guy, and he's a side A, side B guy. And so what he's doing is basically taking a pause so that all the people that are listening on vinyl or cassette will then be turning over their, their discs. Mm. So he's like putting that in as a little kind of joke in there. But the interesting thing and why that's referenced to um, Del Shannon is that in the background noise of that part, you can just hear like loads of barnyard animals and screaming and stuff like that. That's Tom and Del Shannon just making loads of random noise in the background. Mental. It's a good little joke. He did the same thing on his album in 1991 in the cassette version of Into the Great Wide Open. Halfway through the cassette, he instructs the listeners to fast forward through the silence, like, but he directly addresses them. Just something he liked to do. That fourth wall break. Fourth wall. Fourth wall break, smashing through it with his sultry tones. When you hear his voice, man, just like, God, I strive to be that cool. Um, but, you know. No, sorry, you are. I know I am. Oh, you know <laughs> what, Chris? Thanks, mate. That makes me feel a whole lot better. Here's track six, feel a whole lot better. Track six, Feel a Whole Lot Better, a cover of the Bird song, I'll Feel a Whole Lot Better, which was released in 1965. Fairly faithful rendition of this one. Really good, yeah, isn't it? It's pretty close to the original, isn't it? He said, I did an absolutely shamelessly faithful version of it. There's just no excuse for behavior like that. He was really close, wasn't he, with uh, Roger McGuinn from the Birds, the front man? Another one of these people that entered the circle and, and remained yeah. and collaborated with throughout the, the course of time afterwards. He says it's arguably one of his biggest influences and it's quite amazing to be able to work with those people in your career. Like mm -hmm. we've all got massive influences on us, but imagine actually being able to work alongside those people. Well, that is interesting because that Roger McGuinn was one of the people that gave him his first real break. So one of his first ever shows that he played was to support the birds, which was Done, you know, given to him by Roger McGuinn. And also he was one of the first people to record one of Tom Petty's songs back in the day. So he's been there the whole time. He's like a, an OG supporter. To cover record or to actually physically record for? To actually physically record oh, so in that. his studio and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is really cool, man. Like, you know, kicked off his career for him, That's basically. so interesting how, again, things come full circle because in, in the documentary, there's a bit where Roger McGuinn has been given like lyrics to write a song to there's a bit where they're just sitting there and and tom petty's advising him on it saying why are they getting you to write this song it's, yeah it's shit because the label give him lyrics that's don't right they? Yeah. yeah 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 and tom says to the label rep he's like um are you getting a kickback yeah, from this or does, something you're getting two points yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> it's like this is a bad song he said this is perpetrating the depth of shit we're in in pop music yeah <laughs> and it's so right but he's always stood up to labels initially tom signed a record deal with a record label called shelter and they were an independent label who were eventually bought by MCA Records, who eventually became Universal. So for the, for the interest of keeping this simple, we'll just refer to them as MCA. And when it came to releasing this album, they didn't want to put it out. And they thought it was A, too short, and B, didn't have any hits on it. So they wanted more tracks, and they wanted them to write hits. 
in terms of packing out the album, he decided to do a cover of this song, which is why this song is on the album. This is one of the latecomers. But there was a lawsuit. So when Tom first moved to LA, he signed a contract with Shelter, as we've just said. And unbeknownst to him, he'd signed over the vast majority of his publishing rights for $10,000. So they said, you know, we'll give you $10,000, sign here, mm. off you go. Thinking that that was a publishing advance or something like that. It later turned out that that wasn't the case. And they basically signed away all of his publishing. So he was, they were all getting next to nothing. They were every, for every penny he made, the label was making 10. And as he got bigger and as he got more popular, that started to grate on him. So he opened up a legal dispute because he realized that the tiny amounts of money that he was getting would never offset the bill that he'd had with the label. Mm -hmm. So he was going to be tied in forever. And this is a common thing. The label will pay for everything. They'll, give, they'll let you go into millions of pounds worth of debt with them because they know that on the back end, they're paying you little. So you're never going to be able to escape the label. Because every time you try to, they're going to be like, you owe us all this money, so you can't. You have to keep giving us albums. He didn't, he didn't like that. So he took them to court. And his idea was, if I'm a million dollars in debt with you, and you're paying me a penny per album, then I'm technically bankrupt. Because in my life, I can never pay you back. So I'm essentially bankrupt. He then decided to use that in court. So he declared himself bankrupt. He filed for bankruptcy. Now, the interesting thing about that and what that means is, if you file for bankruptcy, all of your legal business deals have to be rerouted and have to be dissolved because as someone who's bankrupt, all of that stuff goes away, which would include his record deal. So the label shit themselves. They were like, oh fuck, like this, if this gets out, if this goes through, which it will, other artists are going to start doing this. This is going to break down the foundations of the record deals. So they immediately settled out to court with him. They were like, right, let's just pay him off. That's, let's just leave that be. And so Tom won. So he got out of his contract anyway. And they offered him a new contract with his own independent label within MCA. They gave him a $3 million advance guarantee, his own bit of the label, gave him all the publishing rights back that he'd signed over to them initially. And um, basically that changed the whole music industry forever. Like even to this day, that, court, that case is referenced in every record deal it's ever made. Good for him. Yep. That's incredible. He's Nailed punk it. as fuck, man. Uh, there's something about Tom Petty. He just doesn't give a shit, does he? No, not at all. I love it. I love and, he, it. and he even made like a secret record deal because at the time he was talking about um, referring back to the fact that MCA didn't want to put this record out. And he says he had the song Free Fall In and he'd taken it to the label. They rejected it. And not long afterwards, when the idea for the Traveling Wilburys was incubating, he was with George Harrison at the house of the Warner Brothers Records chairman, a guy called Mo Austin. Yeah, that's who I got here. Yeah. And he says they had dinner and stuff, and George was like, let's get the guitars out and sing a little bit. Let's do some of that. It's like, imagine being in that room for one, where George Harrison's like, let's get the guitars out, boys, and do a few tunes. They get a pass on that one, yeah. Yeah. They, they get a pass. And he was like, let's do that Free Fallen song of yours. So they start playing him. And Lenny Warrenko, who was the Warner Records president at that time, he said, that's a hit. He said, well, my record label won't put it out. And Mo said, well, I'll fucking put it out. <laughs> so anyway, after all that, eventually MCA did put this record out. But Tom, in that moment, signed a secret record deal with Warner and was like, okay, once you get out of your MCA deal, you'll be straight into Warner um, to the tune of like $20 million or something advanced. And so he managed to negotiate his way out of his MCA deal by guaranteeing them a Greatest Hits album. So he was like, instead of me doing this last album with you, I'm just going to do your Greatest Hits, give you an extra couple of songs. And he did and moved away. And the next album after this was released through Warner Records. Cool story. On a much better deal. Yeah, good for him. He's a fucking Stand anarchist, man. Stand up for what's, uh, for what's right, man, if you can. If you can. Um, moving on to track seven, which is a song called You're So Bad, or You're So Bad. I can't decide which is worse But not me 
best thing I ever had. Track seven, You're So Bad. The fifth and final single from this album, released on the 23rd of April, 1990. One day before the album's one year anniversary, this song came out. There you go. There you go. I'm glad you just highlighted where the singles are, by the way, because I couldn't get a clear run on them either. I actually, I heard some were singles and some weren't, and then found elsewhere that some were and some weren't. I could be talking out my ass, mate. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm happy for you to, I, I couldn't, uh, I tried to talk out my ass and I couldn't because I couldn't find a direction. So, you know. There you go. There's some imagery for you. <laughs> Um, just before we get into the track, there's quite a lot of contrasting information when it comes to a lot of this album and the facts around it, isn't there? And um, one of the stories is about how Jeff and Tom first met. And um, well, the one I've got is that the journey of Full Moon Fever began by chance when Petty and Jeff pulled up next to each other at traffic lights and yeah. just started chatting, which is yeah, you told him to pull over. He was like, yeah, pulled up to each other at a traffic light, looked over and was like, oh, look, Jeff Lynn. He's like, pull over. So he pulled over, got out the car and was like, all right, mate, <laughs> make a couple of tunes or something. Oh, yeah, you're right. Well, no, there they Man, Carl, did you have a contrasting story to that? Did you read anything else on that? Well, no, I, in terms of how they first met, it wasn't necessarily a contrast. I think they'd already met before, but how they became to work together was meeting at the traffic lights. But I think they'd been introduced before by George Harrison. Right. And then later on, when Tom was making songs, he pulled up to a light, saw Jeff and was like, oh, I, can, I should get him to come and do this with me. Yeah. Which is relevant because this song is the first song they worked on together. The first song they wrote together. Tom had been struggling with it for a while. Played it to Jeff and Jeff was like, oh, why don't you play this chord here? As soon as he did that, the whole song came to life. So they ran to Mike Campbell's studio and recorded it. The day after they wrote this, they got together and wrote Free Falling. Whilst they were mixing Free Falling, they went and wrote I Won't Back Down. It's just like so Mad. creatively potent. Madness. I've got a quote here from Tom and he says, um, I remember coming home after we cut Free Falling and You're So Bad and having those two tracks on cassette and I must have been playing them on the bathroom floor for about two hours and just sitting there feeling like, wow, this is so great. Yeah. And he's notorious for not liking or enjoying listening to his own music over and over. That's how he knew those songs are special. There's, there is definitely a sense of enjoying this process, though, isn't there? I know he talks about that quite a lot and this being perhaps the happiest he ever was creatively. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, when you've got that freedom to, to work on your own, away from the band, just, just as a little breather, it just gave him a sense to to find out where he was as an artist, I think, and to find it in, in such a strong fashion. Uh, well, it's so consistent, isn't it? This album is so consistent yeah. from top to bottom. Yeah. And I think he acknowledged that because Jeff Lynne wasn't supposed to be on this whole album. He was just in town. I think he was in town doing a Brian Wilson record. Yeah. From the Beach Boys and was supposed to fly back to England. And he was like, oh, we've done these couple of songs. Like, can you stick around for a bit? He's like, I've got to go, mate. Like, I've got to go back to England. He was like, oh, just one more. And he ended up keeping him around for the whole thing and they ended up doing all of it. So yeah, Jeff has a major influence and I think it was just a time where they'd struck gold and Tom really didn't want to lose it. Mm -hmm. Bit of trivia for you. Go on. Quiz question. What does yuppie mean? Have you got it? Yeah, I got it. Go on then. Young urban professional. Yes, it does. There you go. Young urban professional. I did not know that. So we're all yuppies, right? Well, yeah. Y yeah, well old how do you do an old urban? <laughs> <laughs> old urban professional another classic depiction of young urban professional yep. yuppie was uh, american psycho yeah oh if you watch the video if you mm. watch the video anyway well i guess this well this was 10 years before the film at least i guess but the video has all of that yeah trapp the trappings of 80s excess and capitalism written all over it mm. i did write down some of the newspaper headlines from that video 
did you watch that video or not? I did. Yeah, okay. that's a cool video. It's got a, it's got a guy in it who was the actor in Dumb and Dumber. He's the he's the villain in Dumb and Dumber. He's the uppie in there. Didn't clock that. Yeah, yeah, he is. The guy he's got the blow up doll in the in the yeah. motel room. <laughs> yeah, he's got the blow up doll. <laughs> he immediately gets thrown out by his wife. They end yeah. up getting divorced. He goes straight to a motel, and the first thing he does, man, his fucking key isn't even out the door, and he's blowing up a blow up doll. Yeah, it's true. It's like, is that your first thing? But the headlines, just in case, because in case you want to know them, there were three headlines in that video. At some point, Tom Petty's reading them or whatever. One is, cheating husband's head explodes. Docs say his guilt was just too much. That was headline one. Headline two, new device helps men feel pregnant. See how you like it. That was the second one. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Elvis tribe found in jungle. Wacky savages wear Presley wigs and sing and dance just like the king. <laughs> how important they are to the story, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's a weird utopia, maybe not utopia, dystopia, yeah. that video. Yeah, a bit like Black Hole Sun. Yeah. It does, yeah, it does feel a bit like that. Yeah. Actually. Like Stepford Wivesy, I don't know, odd, odd sort of feeling, yeah. But yeah. Tom throughout that whole video is just so cool, man. That was the point where I was like, you know what, man, this mm. dude's fucking cool, man. Yeah. Just Yeah. But if you don't mind me dragging you back to the point I was talking about, about feel a whole lot better. Drag me. Again, this to me sounds like, you know, it's sort of like a swung country-ish, mm. like not a country update as such. It seems firmly rooted in traditional sound and, and arrangement. I don't know. It's, again, for me, it's, a, it's referencing a, a certain time. And I know that he loves country mm -hmm. and was obsessed by cowboys. And I guess that's why he wanted to, cowboys always play guitars and that's why he wanted to play That's guitar. what he said, isn't it? That's yeah. why he wanted to play guitar. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. But this is what I get from this song again. Well, it's like you said a second ago, it's the point where he's starting to find himself as a solo artist without the influence of the heartbreakers behind him. So he probably is tapping into his young childhood inspirations and all that stuff. Yeah. Lyrics are great though. Lyrics are really fun. Yeah. They? It's, it's nice to have a bit of like acerbic wit from, from Tom Petty. And again, he's so good at observations, isn't he? So he's, he's great. He's fantastic at painting the picture that he's describing there. I can't help but feel the way that the lyrics are depicted is reminiscent of this era and, yeah. and this kind of songwriting this style is very this era mm -hmm. certainly as as a single so when i when i was looking up what else came out in this year just as a just as a reference point like this is when like do little by pixies came out you had paul's boutique by beastie boys uh, madonna's like a prayer came out then it's amazing how much context music released in the same year gives an album Let's move on. This is track eight, depending on you. That was track eight, depending on you. This song is one of a small cluster now that only feature Tom Petty on the mm, credits. Yeah. As the, as the only songwriter. I think there's three, is there? Three on this album? There's three, yeah. Two or three. Yeah. Two or three. I, th I thought it was three, but then I think the third one might be the fact that it was a bad song. Okay. I've got some trivia for you on this. Go on. So apparently, this, well, Tom said that he wishes that he played the song live, but apparently it was performed live. So setlist.fm said it was actually played on November the 26th, 2006 in Jackson, Mississippi. But they only played it once though. Yeah. But he says he wishes he played he, it. He says but, he but, wishes he'd played this live. But he did. But apparently he did. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> there are some uh, interesting things on there. And production wise, 
the vocals are really interesting really super super dry yeah really like nicely cut off on the backing vocals Can i, I just, really like this song i think it's an unsung good one on the it, album yeah though. i do actually i do great chorus Go on, can, Charlie, can i just say talking about the vocals for a minute it, it, they are interesting in the way they're delivered and i can't help but feel that these are less from the heart and more for the good of the track i feel like that they're, they're spliced and cut in certain ways that make the song sound good, but okay. take a lot away from the emotion of it. Oh, really? Well, see, now, that's interesting you say that, because I was watching an interview earlier with him, and it's a really good interview, actually. It's about an hour long. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's that Q1 I referenced a minute ago. Mm. And he's talking about lyric writing and talking about that thing where he feels like he's pulling them out of thin air and the magic of them. And Bob Dylan refers to Tom Petty as a masterful poet. They're talking about that in the interview. And Tom Petty says that, there's a difference between being a poet and a songwriter and being a poet means you can write really good emotional words and they can all work together. But when it comes to singing those words, it's different. You sometimes have to cut them down or change them to fit the melody, which takes some of the emotion out of it. So that's really pretty much on the nose of what you've just said, where it's like for the good of the song, sometimes the content can be sacrificed, Mm. but ultimately would the song be as good if he didn't do that? Well, that's the question, isn't it? For yeah, sure. it's yeah, a juxtaposition for sure. of intent. Well, he writes songs in a way that I think possess so much charm and so much ability to attach yourself to them really quickly and really easily. I was thinking about this when you were talking about his political standpoint and using in campaign trails and things like that. And alongside that, it's easy to compare him to someone like Bruce Springsteen. Mm. And Bruce Springsteen is billed as this sort of, this everyman character and... Uh, you know, a man of the people. Whereas with Tom Petty, I think that the songs possess such immediate understanding and represent an even larger amount of people than some Springsteen songs. Mm. They're almost blank canvases, really. He can be quite specific in his lyrics, but they never feel like they're excluding anyone. Mm. You're never unable to, to give that story or to give that environment or or that subject of the song, your own twist on it, because they're sort of like almost quite small and universal subjects. So maybe in in that creative culling of, of lyrics and sometimes making the lyrics fit the song, maybe the positive outcome of that anyway is that they become very easy to remember, easy to, to attach yourselves to. I think that's a fair point. His songwriting process is a lot more humble than that. You'd imagine people like Tom Petty would just be churning out bangers all day long and it's really easy for them and it's not you know he he, there's a good quote actually on his process he says that sometimes songwriting is pretty lonely work i don't think a lot of people have the patience for it you're not necessarily going to get one every time you try in fact most times you try you're not going to get one it's like fishing you're fishing and you've either caught a fish or you didn't if you did there's one in the boat if you didn't there's not but you're going to go back and keep your pole in the water that's the only way you're going to get a bite what keep your pole in the water is that what you're laughing (laughs) at You Sorry. fucking infant. Sorry. Charlie's laughing as well. <laughs> Let's hear the next song, Kyle, shall we? <laughs> Let's hear the next song. This is track nine, Pole in the Water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. This is track nine, Apartment Song. That was track nine, The Apartment Song. Do a bit of line dance into that. 
you could do a little bit of line dancing if you want. No, <laughs> no. It's funny you should say that. Here, right, we, here we go. It's, it's confession time, boys. It's confession time. <laughs> oh, no. As a child, as a young, as a young young man, you know, maybe I don't know how old I must have been. Between eight, mm. between eight and eight, eight plus. I used to do line dancing. Me and my sister, um, me mom used to take us every week. I have no idea why or how we ended up doing this, but it was something that we ended up doing. Where in the living hell in Liverpool can you go like Just like a local community centre, man. And you go and they play these like rockabilly tracks and you'd all get in a line and do like the same little moves mm -hmm. and shit. Can you and, demo um, something in it? I don't, man, I wish I could, right? Patreon exclusive again. Patreon exclusive, <laughs> yeah. But when I was a kid, I used to go to line dancing for a, a while, I think. Oh, good for you. That's why you've got such supple hips, isn't it? It must be, yeah. They, they don't lie. And... Um, <laughs> 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 but yeah i'll have to ask my mum about that about where all of that came from because me nan was always into country music <laughs> you're, you're not lying hips you're oh, <laughs> well both <laughs> one precedes the other but i remember one of my dad's friends actually like every time i'd see him up until the age of like 25 he'd be like how's the line dancing going car like, oh, that's man, absolutely <laughs> awful <laughs> you're out on, out on a date yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> carl just just winging up mate how'd that line dancing going for you hi gary i'm just this is my first date so if you wouldn't mind uh just keeping the line dancing out of it Anyway, there you go, confession time. Disclaimer, there's nothing wrong with being a line dancer. Thanks, man. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's good to know. Nothing wrong with that. So here we get a member of the Heartbreakers back for one occasion on this album. Mm -hmm. Ben Montench, the keyboard player. And we get a bit of boogie woogie. I'll tell you what, if they were playing at Jules Holland, he'd be all over that song, wouldn't he? Doing, doing... Oh, Jules oh, would be overplaying Jules on that one. Jules would be yeah. all over that. He overplaying really... as usual. <laughs> yeah, Shout out Jules Holland. Yeah. This one was written a long time before the rest, I believe. This was a Southern Accent song. Well, it belonged on Southern Accents almost. It was written for that album, for, yeah. yeah that it was, was one of the first songs written for that album. Right, so that was going to be a double album and it was shaved down to two, uh, to a single, sorry. Exactly, yes. Quite like the Prince album. Yeah, yeah um, I was thinking the same, yeah. It was cut down to a single and put in the vault. And then I think Jeff Lynne, they were, they were in the studio and was like, have you got any other songs lying around that we can dig out whilst we're at this point? And he pulled that out. I actually really like this. Again, it's not breaking any molds here. It's being brought up to date with production and stuff. But, it, you know, again, it does dip in to the past, so much so that that whole drum break is from Peggy Sue, from a Buddy Holly song. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, you know, it's nice, simple. does what it says on the tin, really, I think. It does. Mm -hmm. it does. But great, great energy with it. Great energy with it. It's interesting that they, I assume that they don't, record any of these as a band because that was a big thing with the heartbreakers is that they would always record as a band mm -hmm. and i think jeff lynn famously doesn't actually record live recordings like that he's more of like a chess player putting things in the right position yeah i'd like to know actually i don't know that yeah but some of these i'm, I'm sure it's mentioned somewhere along the line i'm sure i've read that in him mm. but um this song feels really nice and live nice and nice and vibrant and mm -hmm. um, just a lot of fun no, no pretense and you know what it's like living in, a, in an apartment and you've got trouble with your neighbours, right, Carl? Absolutely, man. <laughs> this, this speaks to me in many ways. I know, it does. The oh. apartment song, it's a line dancing anthem, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All my shit in one. <laughs> oh, jeepers. Oh, we are going to have to film this now, aren't we? There's an earlier version of this song, though, eh? With uh, Stevie Nicks. Yeah, the demo was with him yeah. and Stevie Nicks. Yeah. It wasn't supposed to be a duet, though, was it? I think she came into the studio, maybe, and heard this. Yeah, I'm not sure how that came about, the demo, because they'd worked together on... Um, Stop Dragging My Heart Around, which was a, which is an amazing song. I don't yeah. know if you've heard that. Yeah. Stevie Nicks track. It's so good. Uh, so they, they'd started working together and this was possibly one of the first times they'd worked together maybe in this, but they put it together as a demo 
and it just went away. And it, when it came out, it was just them two on the track. Have and you heard so, what she says about? I have. Uh, is yeah. it the quote that I think you're? Oh about? no, no, you talk. No, about. you say, you say, go on. You can. No, have it. you. No, it's just it, she's got. A, she has a lot of love for the Heartbreakers, doesn't she? So much so that she said what? Well, she said that if Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were to have called her up and asked her to leave Fleetwood Mac to join. Tom Petty and Heartbreakers, she would have joined Tom Petty and Heartbreakers. Really? Madness. Isn't that mental? That's a big fucking statement. Really? Did you say that yeah. at the time? <laughs> yeah, and Tom was like, yeah, but we got no girls. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, tries to plead a, a case against, yeah, but the Heartbreakers don't have any girls. Mick <laughs> 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 Fleetwood must have been fuming. Oh, I bet he was. You know, Lindsay Buckingham, he'd have been pissed off. Oh, they I were, don't know. They were all, come on, they were all pissed off. They were all either shagging <laughs> or screaming at each other, weren't yeah. they? There was no difference. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I didn't know that. Um, Let's move on. This is track 10 called All Right For Now. So close your eyes We're all right For now I've spent my life traveling Spent my life free I could not repay all you've done That was track 10, All Right For Now. If you look this up in YouTube, you see like a bunch of baby videos, like yeah. videos of people like singing it to the babies or like compilations of um, baby pictures that people have put up. It, it really is a lullaby, isn't it? Tom Petty fans must have been absolutely stoked because if you're a true fan of an artist, you want one of their songs for every occasion. They're like oh my God, I don't have one of those songs that I can put to one of my baby videos. And yeah, like, yeah. Yes, there it is. <laughs> you know, you were talking earlier about Tom and Jeff and you imagine them just going into the studio and just both playing mm. the guitar and once in one ear and once in the other. I like in this song, you can hear that. Like at the very start, you can hear Tom counting the song in and then you make a mistake and he's like, one more time, one more time. And they go again. And that happens at the very start of the song and you can feel the liveness of it. Like you said, the fact that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers like to do everything live, mm. this song feels like it was just one straight performance, obviously, because yeah. it's just the two guitars. But I think it's, is it Tom and Jeff playing guitar on this? Who's the second guitarist? No, it's, it's, it's Tom and Mike. And, is it Tom um, and Mike Campbell? Actually, yeah, for some reason, I, I've got in my head that Jeff wasn't around for the recording. So, so it's funny It's funny you say that, actually, because Jeff had gone home or Jeff was off on something else. So it was, it was Tom and Mike, and they wrote this together, just the two of them with no influence from Jeff. Jeff only came in and put slight production on at the end, but he's not credited ah. in the writing process of this song. Was this one of the songs that they made to be an extra song on the album because because the label wanted more tracks? This is the first song they wrote after the label had turned the, the album down. Ah, No, it's a, it's a beautiful song and it might be, even be worth mentioning at this point quite a sizable event that happened to Tom Petty a few years before this, uh, before the Wilburys came around as well. In 1987, I think was the year. I say, I think I've got May the 17th, 1987. Written <laughs> that's, down. that's like another episode <laughs> where I was like, yeah. if you listen to somewhere around one minute, 43 seconds, yeah. <laughs> approximately one minute, 43. Um, someone broke into his house in Encino. I think it is where it was. And put a lot of, <laughs> again, not sure, but not, the code is it's somewhere around Encino, you know, All right, watch out. Yeah. Uh, doused a stairwell in lighter fluid and set fire to his house. And he lost nearly everything. I think um, the only thing that survived was his studio in the basement. Yeah mental and i think it was near to where his daughter would have been i don't think she was there at the time i think she was away but he was having a big barbecue there on that day and loads of people just started turning up with like gifts and stuff and his place is on fire with, with shit yeah with, with i heard that annie lennox he lived next door to annie lennox's right, partner yeah. at the time and she yeah. came out with a load of clothes for them but yeah whole house ripped ripped yeah the whole fucking um thing. and 
interesting about that, and this song is probably the one that seems the most apt for it, is that he said that he, he didn't want to write any angry songs after that happened. Mm. And, you know, when you hear some of the big hits that came after that, they are, they are mellowing out, you know, it, it feels like. You know, in his lifetime anyway, he goes through a few interesting phases and has some difficulties and with anger and alcohol and things like that, which is strange because you wouldn't expect it because he's, he's so chilled out anyway. He is like to imagine, you know, he was a heroin addict as well, like in the nineties. Yeah, he had a brief, got, brief go on it. I, think. I didn't know that. Really bad on heroin. That was after his divorce. I think he just oh, went to right. a place. Okay, place, but, uh, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because they lost one of the heartbreakers to heroin. Yeah, that was the original bass player. That was, I think. That was uh, Howie. No, not the original. That oh was no, Howie, Howie Epstein. Epstein yeah. yeah, who wow. who is on here on on some of the backing vocals? That's sad, man. Like again, that's another thing that rips through. We talked about fentanyl. It's like. The heroin issue in, especially around the nineties, mm. was just chaotic. Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, but back to that idea that he was only writing these more peaceful songs and less angry songs. He said during that time, it, it was like he'd survived a plane crash. He said uh, that he was really glad that they they didn't get him, and he was really glad to be alive. And he'd never felt that way before. So yeah, he, he vowed not to write any more angry music. And this certainly feels that way, doesn't it? This is this is about care and protection and, and yeah. love and. I think that stuck with him for a while, the whole house burning down thing. That must have been mad to live with because he never caught the person that did it. That person, yeah. still, it was still an unresolved case. And he rebuilt the house afterwards and, and they carried on living there. Um, his wife got that house when they divorced. The house actually sold last year. No, it was 2019 for $5 million to Selena Gomez. She lives in it now. No wow. Shit. There you go. Fact of the podcast. There you go. Did you notice the bits of flanging in this song? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, mental, like, I didn't it? know what effect it was. And I was yeah. trying to work it out. I, I, think I wrote down the vocal production on Close Your Eyes, in particular, that lyric. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to work out what effect it was. And I was thinking, I thought it was flange, but it doesn't feel like Tame Impala flange. It doesn't feel like the same kind of vibe. So. I just went straight up chorus, you know. Could be chorus. It seems to have a pace to it, but it could be a blend. You couldn't, who knows? But yeah, that effect on it is really interesting. Patreon could, exclusive, we'll get a microphone and we'll try out loads of different <laughs> effects on it. Stay tuned for some really interesting developments. You uh, you talked about Jeff Lynn coming in at the last minute and doing bits of added production to this one. So maybe that's what he did. Maybe that was a Jeff. Great song, yeah. boys. Uh, just going to chuck on a bit of chorus. <laughs> yeah. gone. Have you considered a flange on the chorus? <laughs> I'll flange you, Jeff. Should we move on? Yeah, go on then. All right, then. This is track 11, A Mind with a Heart of Its Own. That was track 11, A Mind with a Heart of Its Own. I love that one. I think it's fantastic. Fun, man. It's great. Do you know who I think would also do something just like this? Prince. Go on. Prince. Really? Oh, this could be Let's Go Crazy. Yeah. Shit. Shit. How the fuck? How do you know I was going to say that? Well, like, I know what number you're thinking of between one and 100. Oh, okay. Three, two, two one, one 78. Yes, we yes, got, it. got it. Nailed yes. it. Nailed it. Woo. Yes. yes. Nailed it. So, I read something about this one about how the name and the lyric came about for A Man With A Heart Of Its Own. Go on. I read that Jeff and Tom were both driving in separate cars to the studio. And when they got there, they realized that they'd both been listening to the same radio station and had heard the song by Connie Francis called A Heart With A Mind Of Its Own on the radio. And they talked about it and they were like, why don't you just flip that lyric around and it means something totally different if you said A Mind With A Heart Of Its Own. So they just went with that and went and wrote a song around it. 
So it's almost like so it's not like one of those things. What would you rather be, a cat with dog's hands <laughs> or a dog with shark's fins? Or yeah. Something? Would you rather fight twelve duck-sized Piers Morgans or one Piers Morgan-sized duck? <laughs> so would you rather have a mind with a heart of its own, or would you rather have a heart with a mind of its own? Mind with a heart of its own, probably. Mind with a heart of its own. Probably. Yeah, probably, probably that way. Yeah. Like, a, an, like an empathetic mind. I like the fact mm-hmm. that my heart doesn't have a mind because I don't have to think about making it beat. Hang on, if you had a... Whoa. That's true. Yeah. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> bounce, let's bounce. That's my own. So this is your, um, this is your Bo Diddley beat Bo Diddley song, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I thought it sounded a bit like Faith by George Michael as well. That's, I've got it written down. I mean, it's, that's the rhythm, isn't it? It's that like... that. Ding. Oh well, I guess it would be nice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but that's what it is. Yeah, made famous by Bo Diddley on his song Bo Diddley. Mm-hmm. You know, I always dreamed of when I was a kid. I was like, when I become a famous artist, let's say I'm called um, Do Bidley, right? <laughs> the dream was to to release your first album called Do Bidley, and you also have a song on it called Do Bidley. So your song, your artist name, and your album name all the same. I always, I always wanted that. Is that not interesting? <clears throat> no, it's interesting, man. Oh. Yeah. No, it's good, eh? <laughs> Boring. Then, then give me more than that. It's, it's, I mean, it's better than line dancing when you were oh, a kid. Yeah. I don't know. Better than that being your dream. That's true. Yeah, the first thing that I thought about this was what it reminded me of is Not Fade Away, which I didn't realize was a Buddy Holly song. I thought it was a Rolling Stones song, but actually now in investigation, it is a Buddy Holly song. This has that sort of 50s, 50s charm, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. There's an amazing video of Bo Diddley performing Bo Diddley there's a guy with maracas in the back and he's absolutely killing it. With Isn't it? He's, he's like proto bears. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's so, nice. so good. But so many, so many artists use that, you know, that rhythm. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a sort of like clave rhythm is, is what I was taught in school. I remember, you know, claves are like the two, um, other ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's one of my party tricks that I can get some flipping volume on that. Yeah. But like you said, George Michael uses it. Primal Scream uses it on moving on up. There's some Springsteen songs that use it and and yeah, it's all over the place really. Yeah. I felt like it should be an earlier song in the album though. I felt that this is a weird position for this song. It's high energy, just has a feel of it that's like an early album tune to get people ramped up. Yeah, it does. And amped up. I think when he submitted the original nine track version, it will have been high energy from top to bottom. Mm. Then he had extra songs that he needed to put on to make it up to a 12 track album, which were the more slower, older sounding songs. And I think that, is why this song now sounds so out of place. It's because he's filled the gap, the extra songs with those slower right. ones. So I think that's why that feels a little bit out of place. Yeah. I pulled the lyric, I've slept in your treehouse, my middle name is L. Yeah. <laughs> His middle name is actually L. <laughs> he's Thomas L. Petty. It's such a cool way to end that verse. Earl. Well, he was trying to, he couldn't find anything to rhyme with world. So he was like, what rhymes with world? Uh, my middle name's Earl. Oh, let's go with that. All right, my middle name's L. It's not written about him. I think a lot of these are just, he, he makes characters. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like it just appears out of nowhere and mm. he just leaves it hanging in the air because it's right at the end of the verse. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, fucks off into no the chorus. No explanation <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah, and that's, like, that song is that. And that's like what we were talking about a minute ago with um, his songwriting and the emotion and how he is described as a masterful poet, but sometimes has to just make the lyrics fit the song. Mm. And in this situation, he's literally gone, well, world, world, schmeld, fleld, yeah. earl, fuck it. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. Press play. I'm not lying. It's, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, love it. Love the energy. Again, feels like a band. Mm-hmm. It definitely does, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Feels great, this song. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, let's make a move on to the last track of the album, which is track 12, and it's called Zombie Zoo. Comes falling down again. You show up with your friends half alive. 
That was track 12, the last track on the album, Zombie Zoom. Madness. Um, madness. I, I've got to get my part in here because I just I need to end on a positive note and I just have to get this out of my out of the way first. Go yeah. on. I was listening to that and I was thinking, God, this is obvious and God, this is a bit flat and everything. And I was like, oh, why do you hate this? Like, this is such a good, well-reviewed album. And I was like, is this only me? Is this how I feel? Should I be loving this song? And I can't find a way to love it. And then I read a quote from Tom Petty saying, I do not understand how this got on the record. I had better stuff. What frame of mind produced that? That was nearly a perfect album. Yeah, I read a lot of that stuff too. I think he, he hates this song. I think if he had his time over, he'd just not put it on the album. Sounds that way. I don't mind it. I think I, it's... I don't hate it. It's a bit kind of... It's camp, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit filler. I'm like, okay, but I don't hate it. Should I tell you who would have done it better? Go on. Meatloaf. No. Prince. Yes. <laughs> Prince, yeah. If, yeah, Prin yeah. if Prince had his way with this track, I reckon he would have turned this into one of the Prince kind of... Right. Yeah, it would have worked. Would have no, worked. No, I genuinely had Meatloaf or Rocky Horror Picture Show down down here. Mm. Oh yeah, because okay. it is that, isn't it? You know, it's all about zombies and spooky it's about these people. Well, I guess what it actually is is it's about all these people in LA, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's like a re a representation of a segment of the night culture in, in yeah. Los Angeles. Yeah, but he says it's a bit of a joke, you know. But you can understand why people attach some connotation to it yeah. because yeah, it might be reminiscent of the people at that time. But yeah, you know, an, an interesting end to the album. He doesn't like it. A lot of people do. But all in all, a fantastic album anyway. Yeah. Roy Orbison on backing vocals. Ah. It was. It was. Which um, which they went on to say, I think Tom said this, or maybe Jeff did, that what a waste. <laughs> like, he's, <laughs> like he's coming just for backing vocals. It is. I went back and listened to some Roy Orbison uh, while researching this. And actually, when you hear Roy's voice, man, he's got a great voice. He does. Man. Yeah. It's a shame. But on, on reflection, listen to it, because you can hear him coming through a little bit on the BBC. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. If you want it, go back to the Wilburys and listen to it there. Because Volume 1, the Wilburys album, sounds quite a lot like this, man. It's not that different to this. Mm. It just happens that sometimes Bob Dylan will come over and pipe up for a bit or Roy Orbison will give it one of the... Bob, Bobby D. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, if you don't mind then, uh, as we're just talking about Roy Orbison, I'll give you a closer this time if you like. Cause, um, go for it, man. Tom talked about Roy Orbison after he died because he died just after the, the Travelling Wilburys made that, that album. And this is one for all of us. He said, the way Roy saw life and just enjoyed it so much, it just brought home to me that you're only given so many heartbeats and you better use every one. Wow. See? Nice. That's a life lesson for all of us. Yeah, I can do one of these as well sometimes if you want me to. Nailed it. Please do, man. <laughs> More of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. Well, let's use that as a cap, shall we? Let's yeah. do that. Yeah. An awesome album, man. Really good. Top to bottom. It's solid. It, it really is. is. I think yeah. so. Do you, do you guys enjoy it? Loved it, mate. Yeah. Yes, I did. I, I needed to learn about Tom Petty, really. Mm. And it served as a great springboard. I think it was important to learn about him. I do think it's an important thing to do. He's such an important part of music in mm. general, from everything from his music to yeah. his inspiration, to his influence, to his stuff with labels and how he changed and transformed the whole thing. Amazing album, man. Legend. What an absolute hero. God, yeah. God rest his soul. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Real musicians, musician as well. Yeah. Um, okay. So many good things said about him from inside that industry too. It's awesome. And everyone loved him. That's the thing. Everyone loved him. You'll never meet another person in the industry who didn't just love him. And so a great loss. And yeah, but an amazing legacy that he left behind. Yeah. And a For great sure. album to talk about. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So that wraps us up. Let's talk about the next episode. So the next episode is episode 10, which is the last episode of this season. And as we've mentioned and hinted at in the last few episodes, this is going to be one chosen by one of our Patreon supporters. 
So everyone who's signed up to the Patreon on the second or third level was sent a form where they get to submit an album to us. We're going to pick it out and make that the album for episode 10. Mm -hmm. We got two submissions in the end. Only two people decided to fill a form in, and that's fine. But both of them really put the effort in and really mm. laid it out really well and give us loads of insight into what into the reason they chose the album and so because of that we've decided to break our own rules yeah and extend this season so we're going to do both albums we're going to do episode 10 and episode 11 are both going to be user submitted albums we're going to go one extra on this yeah season man yeah just because the choices are great and yeah well, it means a lot this was this was the biggest part of doing this podcast anyway was that we wanted it to be super collaborative and we wanted people to get involved as much as they can you know you said if i could just have enough people to fill my house that would regularly just talk about music with me mm -hmm. then um sorry i said house like it's a, some grand thing like millions and millions of people you know just a small just a, a little a little house party yeah man just to chat about music and that's what this has all been about so yeah we've we got a nice do... a nice little community of people listening with us man and yeah. it's and it's nice and for them to reach out support us with the patreon and also send us their album and take part that's great so we've got two albums the first one suggested by adam chivers thank you very much for your support man we really really appreciate it and we've noticed you commenting and stuff and, and really getting involved and and we love that we really do so yeah his suggestion is by placebo it's an album called black market music which was released in the year 2000 on hut records the second one is by another supporter who's called cody gobert and he's picked Casey Musgrave's album, Golden Hour, which is, you know, sentimental and special to us in a certain way as well. So we look forward to digging into that one. So in terms of what order they'll show up, next week's episode will be Black Market Music by Placebo. The week afterwards, the extended episode of the season will be Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves. Love it. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Pumped for it, man. So Can't yeah, wait. the guys have also sent us in some notes about their opinions on the album, mm -hmm. which we'll bring in and build that into the episode so they can be as much of a part of it as they want to be. And we'll just look forward to doing that, man. So do you want to grab Absolutely. us a beer, Chris, for this week? I'll get an alcohol. Well, that's our um, input in terms of albums done for this season one. So that's it. That's been our choices for this season. Wow. Ended on Tom Petty. And yeah, the last two are going to be listeners. What have you got? Ooh. Thanks for sticking with us, everyone. Oh, have you got one with a zombie on? Look at that. So yeah, you've not seen these yet. These you? are cool beers this week. Obviously, we go for themed beers every week. And the lovely lady, Diana, at Beercraft again. This week, she actually <laughs> had them before we even came in. So she's got three beers lined up for us. So our community is extending to our beer shop. That's really cool. <laughs> Most yeah. importantly. The beer shop's listening. Great. Uh, so, yeah. So we've got uh, themed beers. We've got 40 Watt Moon, uh, because obviously we are on full moon fever. We've got some Dreams of Freedom from Quantock brewery which is in bloody zamrazet which is in taunton so we had that because we're running down a dream a dream freedom like it and this one looks the most fun this is uh Dea breweries we'll take it off the zombies booty right down uh, the you know zoo. so it's worth having track 12 in there anyway wasn't yeah, it Zombie just two. for that so we're gonna we're gonna polish these ones off and we're probably gonna have a good cheers on this one as well aren't we because uh, absolutely yeah. as you just said a second ago this does mark the end of our choices mm -hmm. on this season uh, and it's been so much fun, man. It's been really, really great. And I've learned to love a lot of these albums. It's been amazing, fun. man. It's been great. And yeah, so whilst Chris has just said that and while he's cracking that beer, perfect timing. Just a moment to say thanks to everyone who has been listening and following through with us. It's been more than we could have imagined. I think we're up to about four and a half thousand streams now of the episodes combined, which is way more than we expected. You know, like, sure. like Chris said a second ago, 
we were just hoping that there'd be enough people that might make my living room seem busy. If that many people were listening, we'd feel like we'd done something. So again, thank you all for the support. It's been amazing. And we will be back with a season two. Once we take the season break, we'll take a little bit of time to regather our thoughts, not too long, and then be straight back in with another bunch of albums now. Let's have a try of this. What we got? Oh, this is the zombie one. We'll take it off the zombies. Cheers, lads. Cheers. Love, Cheers. love you both. Yeah, love you, man. Love you. <laughs> that was, you said that way too, way too weird. All right, then. Let's get out of here. So that is it for this week's episode of Between the Tracks. That was Tom Petty's album, Full Moon Fever. Next week will be Adam Chiba's suggestion, which is Placebo's album, Black Market Music. My name is Carl Lewis. This is Chris Fal... <laughs> What's my name? This is Chris Bunt, and that's Charlie Fowler. Cheers and motherfucking gone. Thanks for listening to Between the Tracks, a book club but for music. Written, produced, and presented by Carl Lewis, Chris Bunt, and Charlie Fowler. Intro and outro music by Ross Chapman and Samson Jatto. Artwork by Jim Hurd at Twinfin Design Co. Thanks to our friends at Sennheiser for the support. If you've enjoyed this album and can afford to buy it directly from the artist, links have been added to our website.